reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 11. That's on page 8 in the Pew Bible. Um, Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Our New Testament reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2. It is on page 909 in your pew Bible. Would you stand for our New Testament reading this morning as we read about Pentecost, the very thing that we're celebrating today? We'll start in verse 1, and then uh, in a minute we'll move to a later passage. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Now if you'll go with me, still in Acts chapter 2, but over in verse 32, we'll read verses 32 through 41. This is Peter speaking. This Jesus God raised up, and of, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the very word of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. As God's word was being read this morning, I um, just was overwhelmed uh, for a moment. Thinking about how tragic it would be um, to go through your life and not being confident in God's word. Um, that's, I don't know why my mind went that way. Um, but I, I know and I, and I genuinely respect it that many people, I mean, there are many things out there that claim to be authoritative in our lives, right? There are many books, honestly, even called holy scriptures of different faiths that people put their trust in. And, and we've created a climate in, in North America, especially in the Western world, of don't trust anything. Prove it yourself, right? We've kind of created a, a, a climate of distrust. And, and, and so we kind of come at life, or maybe I'm, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but, but I've come at life as saying, I need this to be proved to me before I will believe it, Right? And I just thought, oh my goodness, how much of my life has been wasted not trusting the wisdom of God which was right before me the whole time. And so if you're not at that place yet where where you're able um, to put your trust in God's word, I just really want to encourage you. Take that baby step of faith. Uh, uh, say, God, I, I don't completely understand this. Just think of all the words that Chad read through there just a moment ago. I don't even understand half these words that just were read. But, but put your weight down on God that his word is true and, and that, that it's trustworthy. And, 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 and as you live into it, even in, in our limited understanding, as we, as we live into it, we will find grace for our time of need. I, I don't know if I'm feeling old or whatever it is, but I just have found God's word to be true and trustworthy. And if you could just skip those 30 years of distrust, right? If, if you could just skip those 30 years or even more decades of, of saying, prove it to me, God, and, and start living into what, what Jesus believed was already true, what David believed was already true. Name a woman or a man in the Bible what they believed was already true. You would save yourself so much grief. Oh, God, may it be true for us today. Thank you for your word. From Genesis to Revelation, God, the very revelation of truth. Thank you that that your word became flesh and dwelt among us and affirmed the written word, God, so that we don't need to to be proven to, God. We we can put our trust in it because Jesus trusted in it. God, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, God, as we meditate on your word would be acceptable sacrifice. An offering pleasant to you, God, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen? All right. 
well, wow, you never heard Bab- uh, the Tower of Babel as a Pentecost story, huh? That was kind of odd. What are we thinking today? Let's, let's get right to the good stuff, right? Let's get right to, to Acts chapter 2, when for the first time in, in history, the Spirit of God permanently indwells the followers of God, right? Let's get right to the good stuff. I, I just can't express to you. Uh, much of the week we were in God's creation and we got to see that creation declares the glory of God, right? There's this testament right from the very beginning in God's creation about truth, about the relationship of God and humanity. But everywhere I went in preparation for, for our study today of Pentecost, I discovered that that with clarion voice, the the scriptures were speaking out, this is truth. This is truth and it's trustworthy. And so so I wanted to take you back to one of 15 places I could have gone. God is is so... um, uh, condescending sounds like a wrong word, but he, he, he condescends to reveal himself by giving us images that we can understand in Scripture. And, and, and he tells stories to help us understand who we are and who he is and, and what he desires of us. And, and so I wanted to just, with you, tie one of those other stories together so that you can understand the unity and the beauty of God's message to us. I just have to start with a fundamental truth that we have been declaring throughout our Not Ashamed of the Gospel series. The, the, the reality of the gospel of God is that God's desire is that his name would be made great among the nations. The clearest presentation of that is in the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi. For, for from the rising of the sun to, setting, to its setting, excuse me, my name will be made great. Among the nations. So God's great desire is that his name would be lifted up. We explored together. Isn't that sound arrogant? There it is. There's that distrust, right? Well, it would be arrogant if it weren't true. It would be arrogant if God's name wasn't great. It would be arrogant if you couldn't find refuge in who he is, his nature and his character represented by his name. So we remind ourselves on this Pentecost that God's purpose is that his name would be made great and that his glory would be known throughout the earth, right? That's his great desire, right? So how does he accomplish this? God accomplishes this initially by giving one language and one culture, right? In Genesis 10, I know we're going way back here, but in Genesis 10 there's this odd passage that is nothing but a genealogy. I'll share with you before, when I first got my first Bible, it was a green, a, a, a squashed caterpillar green um, Gideon Bible. we got a Gideon in the front row over here. It was a Gideon Bible, and uh, I was so excited to have a Bible of my own. I whooped that thing open. It was a, started in Matthew, right? And, and it said, Fred begat Joe, and Joe begat, and, and I got lost in the genealogy. But in Genesis 10, there's one of those genealogies, and you go, what, what's this? God, we really don't care about these 57 different names in here, right? We really don't care about them. And then you realize one day that not one word, not one serif on a letter of Scripture is by accident. In Genesis 10, God is revealing this amazing truth of the nations. 
that God has a heart for the nations and he names the original 70 nations by name in, in Genesis 10. And, and then what happens in Genesis 11, our passage for today, right? In Genesis 11, then we get the account of the Tower of Babel where those 70 nations, those people, all descendants of Noah, right? These, these descendants of Noah start to gather together and, and, and that the, the whole world having one language, right? Being able to converse at one time starts to develop a culture. The Bible calls that culture lip, believe it or not. I can't say that without thinking of my grandma. Right? Don't give me your lip. Right? I think she would say, don't give me no lip. Right? And, and I don't think that she meant, you know, actual lip. I think what she meant, don't give me grief. Don't give me your culture here. Right? Don't give me what you worship. Um, all, of, all of humanity was one language and one culture. And that culture was, for the second time now, Adam and Eve fell. God destroyed the earth. He started again with, with Noah. And for the second time, all of culture is wandering away from God and giving God lip, right? Um, Isaiah says, and we quoted it earlier, Isaiah 6, 5, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. Does that mean that I cussed and said bad words? No. It means that his whole worship environment, his whole cultus is, is uh, dishonoring to God. And he says, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean culture, uh, of unclean lips. My eyes, that, that would be okay. Except my eyes have caught a glimpse of the King. My eyes have seen the glory of God. I know the discrepancy now between what God is and where I am. And that beautiful, beautiful mercy of God. The angel came and touched his lips with the burning coal. And said, see, this coal has made you clean, right? In Zephaniah, another prophet, 3.9, God promises that he will restore the peoples to, and it's actually that literal word, to a pure lip. To a pure lip. The, the Bible translates it as speech. But to a pure lip that all may call upon the name of the Lord. For at that time, I will change the lip of the peoples to a pure lip or speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him. Look at this. With one accord, right? So in the, in the midst of the fall, the prophets are speaking. God is speaking through the prophets and saying, I'm going to call you back together, right? And the fact that the whole world had one language and one culture or lip might suggest that not only did they possess one language, but they had some kind of unity, this unity that they were gathering around, this false worship, this false cult that they were gathering around, right? And what struck me as I was studying this is that's exactly what's happening right here. There is a false cult out there, especially in the Western world, that is defending itself against God, that is defending itself, rebelling against the living God. So as we've seen so many times in our studies over the last weeks that we are right in the same place uh, that the scriptures speak of. We are a people of unclean lips and we live 
among a people of unclean lips. But our eyes, here's the problem, our eyes have seen the king, right? Well, to accomplish, uh, to accomplish that his name would be made great, God gave us one language and culture, but at Babel, these nations joined together, right? These nations joined together to build a tower as a powerful symbol of their autonomy, not their relationship with God, of their autonomy, and honestly, their rebellion against God. And, and it's a, a beautiful thing. I don't have time to explain it fully right here, but, but it's a beautiful thing to see what they were doing. They were basically building an ark to save themselves again from the judgment of God. They knew they were breaking the heart of God. They knew that judgment would come, and they built this strong tower, and they built it well. If you're saying, wow, where do you see that? Look at the words that they use in Genesis 11 to describe how they built that tower. It's the same words that were used to describe how Noah built the ark. It's the same words that were used to describe how, how Moses' mother built him a little, guess what, ark, and placed him in it and put it in the river. It's just astounding to see what's going on there. And, and beloved, our culture is doing the same Thing. We're building protections. We're building a cocoon around ourselves to protect ourselves from the judgment of God that we say we don't even believe in, right? At Babel, they joined together. So what is, what is God going to do, right? What is God going to do? They actually express that we, want, we don't want to be scattered. Do you remember what he said in Genesis? I want you to subdue the whole earth. I, I want you to go out there into the world. I want you to, to be the light and life of the world. I want you to go out there. And at Babel, they said, no, we're going to huddle together. We're going to hold tightly to what we say we want and believe. And we're going to protect ourselves against God. The tower was a false ark to protect against the judgment of God. Well, the nations being in one mind, having gathered together... Uh, recorded for us again in Genesis 11 to ensure their survival against the possibility of another judgment from God found themselves in that very place. But look what God did. Whereas God before, in a beautiful act of creation, created the perfect place for humans to flourish, God brings about here an act of decreation. I'm sorry, there's probably a better word for it. I couldn't think of what it might be. But he decreates, he deconstructs, just as he did in the original creation. In that passage, God takes counsel with himself, says, what are we going to do? And then he acts upon humanity. And at Babel, God confuses now. Babel literally means confuses. I think of it as our English word, babel, right? They just babbled on, but it means confusion. God babbled the languages and the lip the language and the culture of the nations and brings that rebellious project, construction project, to an abrupt end. Just, you're going, why does this have to do with anything? Follow me for just a second. God scattered the people just like he had originally commanded them to scatter and, and to subdue the whole world. God scatters them again. So no longer will the whole world be united by one idolatrous belief system or language. At Babel, we see the birth 
of all languages. And honestly, then all lips or pagan cultic religions too. That's where it begins. Right there. What in the world does this have to do with Pentecost, right? What in the world does Babel have to do with Pentecost? Well, at Pentecost, I I just can't express to you enough. Um, We have so many high holy days. I mean... Oh, I can't. We just we just celebrate, right? Um, what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? We celebrate what happened on the cross on Good Friday. We celebrate what we even celebrate the birth of Christ, right? And 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 the incarnation of the living God into humanity. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate that that moment, uh, forty days after Easter, where He ascended to be at heaven. But I'm not sure. But that this isn't the most important holy day. In Christendom, Pentecost. I'm not certain, but that it's not the most important holy day because it was on this day that, that Babel was overturned. It's on this day that God reversed what he did in Genesis 11. The nations had been scattered into many lips, right? Many cults and many different languages. But on Pentecost... All the nations were brought together. All the nations were brought together. You say, how how do you see that? Well, this is again a part of the beauty of God's word. But three times a year, all, all the Jewish men from wherever they were in the world, right? Wherever they were in the world were required by the law to come back to Jerusalem. So, so Pentecost is, is, um, didn't begin with uh, Acts chapter 2. It was already a holy day. It was a celebration uh, called the Feast of Weeks when, when the people came from all over the world back to Jerusalem. The exact opposite of Babel, right? They gathered in one place from all over the world. And, and God chose to use that time to do this amazing miracle that now you and I think of when we think of, of Pentecost. So now, now keep in mind, we're still, we're still just Jews, Jewish men coming from all over the world. But God's, it's like God's saying, we're going to do a do-over here, right? I, I told your great, 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 however many great, grandfather Abraham that, that I would bless him, but that through him, not just Jews... But all the nations would be blessed, right? Through Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. And now all those Jewish men who have gone out there and planted communities out among all the nations have now come back to Jerusalem, right? All the nations have been brought back together. And all the nations have been restored as Zephaniah promised and prophesied to to a pure lip as those nations were cleansed by sacrifice in Jerusalem, they were restored to one cult, one worship. That's what cult means, worship. One worship, the worship of the living God, whose name is great and whose glory is beyond comprehension. Right? So all the nations have been brought together, all the nations have been restored to true worship, right? And all the tongues being spoken, Acts 2.11, we've heard say, 
are speaking of the wonderful works of God. So that lip is restored. They're speaking. All the tongues are speaking of the wonderful works of God. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. If you're not familiar with the story of Pentecost, uh, you heard it go by, but it went by really fast just a couple of minutes ago. But Jesus commanded them to stay there in Jerusalem, right, until the promise of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he ascended then. We saw it last week. He ascended from the Mount of Olives and left them behind. And, and, and they waited, right? They waited a day. Nothing happened. They prayed. They waited another day. Nothing happened. And they continued praying. It appears that about 120 of them were together in one place. And they waited a third day, a fifth day, a seventh day, a ninth day. And nothing happened. But they didn't give up. They didn't stop praying because God didn't answer their prayer that first day. A whole other day's lesson, right? They kept praying. And ten days after Jesus ascended... On the exact day when every Jewish man was required to come to Jerusalem from throughout the world, on that very day that all those different countries were represented in Jerusalem, as they were praying, God's Holy Spirit fell. Did you hear it? It went by so fast. It was like a mighty roar, right? Didn't think about that, Sarah, but that's our theme for next week. Right? It was like this mighty war. People who hear tornadoes uh, describe them as what? Freight trains, right? Like this, this rushing wind, this sound like a freight train going by. And, and this mighty wind blew through that upper room. I shouldn't say that. It blew through the house where they were staying. A lot of people believe it was not the upper room. They believe it was the temple because that's where they would normally have been on Pentecost in the temple, but this mighty rushing wind blew through. So there's a very audible thing happening, right? But there's also a very visual thing happening. There's this, this tongues of fire, and you, you um, another day we'll explore that together, but it's this amazing visible symbol of the presence of God, and the, it's like the tongues divided. Uh, I, the only thing I can think of is the end of that, of that um, Indiana Jones movie where the tongues, you know, the fire kind of, a light on people, and, and they t- that tongues of fire touched on each person, right? And it's almost like God was saying, you are the light of the world, right? It's like, like I was saying, Lynn, Lynn, my presence is dwelling in you, and now you are the fire on the altar, right? It's like God speaking to each of them and, and saying, you are going to shine in dark places, so they, they have an audible thing, this, this rushing wind. They have this visual thing of these tongues of fire alighting on each of them, right? And then the strangest thing happens, that they begin speaking. And it's really hard to understand what's happening here. Um, they begin speaking in other, I'm going to say this very carefully, other known languages. There is a place in scriptures where where um, people began to speak in the tongues of angels. And Paul speaks of that in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. But this, this clearly is not that. They were speaking in known languages so that, so that people heard the mighty works of God in their own mother tongue. Now, those of you who've done any traveling at all, 
If you've been very long in a foreign land, what happens when you hear someone speaking English all of a sudden? What happens? You're boring, right? And you gravitate over and, and they say, oh, I'm, I'm from New York. Oh, we're neighbors. I'm from Evansville, right? Um, you, just, you just gravitate toward them because they're speaking in your mother tongue. They're speaking in your mother tongue. And, and however God did it, I don't think that the rest of their life, um, uh, James knew French, you know. I, I, I'm, however God did it, they heard of the mighty works of God coming from different people in their own mother language and they could not believe it for a lot of reasons, right? One of them, did you hear it? Almost with disdain. These are Galileans, right? It's like Indianapolis people saying, these are Evansville people, right? It's like Chicago people saying, these are Indianapolis people, right? It's like Evansville people saying, these are, these are Kentucky people, right? Everybody, so everybody has somebody they judge, right? And God takes the least of these the least of these, and declares his glory through them. So don't come at me and say, who am I that God would want to glorify himself through me? You are exactly the person he would want to glorify himself through. And your lips, your tongue might be the one that he uses to speak of his mighty work. So when, when people heard all this coming, they, they came to where these people were, whether it was the upper room or they came to the temple, wherever this house was that they were in. And apparently thousands of them came. And we skipped a lot of, of his sermon. But Peter, who had been such a mess just 50 days before, right? Such a mess. Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to speak. The people came to Peter and said, what does this mean? Why, why, I'm hearing this sound, I'm seeing things, I'm, I'm hearing the mighty works of God in my own language. What does this mean? And, and, and just like in every culture, there's always a nudge in every culture. Do you know that word, nudge? It's a, it's a Hebrew word, I think. No, I think it's a grandma word. Don't be a nudge, right? There's, there's a nudge out there that says, oh, they're just drunk. They're just drunk, right? And, um, and in a way, he was right. <laughs> Paul would later say, and we'll see that later in our message here, you know, don't get drunk with wine, but get drunk with the Holy Spirit. It looks very similar, right? They're out of control. They're no longer in control. But this time, the reason they're not in control is because they're being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and Peter gets up and begins to speak. And Peter, who always led with his face and who always found a way to follow it up somehow, clearly presents, clearly presents Jesus Christ, the Messiah, so clearly that people respond. Oh, don't ever underestimate what you can do. I said that wrong. Don't ever underestimate what God can do through you if you will simply allow him to. So Pentecost was this amazing experience where all the nations are brought together, where all the, 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 the nations are restored to pure worship, declaring the mighty works of God, where all the tongues are speaking of the wonderful works of God, right? And all this takes place as the climax to another building, to another building project, this time when not done by rebellious men and women, 
This time not done by a rebellious culture, but this time done by the living God. This time initiated by God. What is he building? Well, Jesus said it this way, I will build my church. We said last week that this, we celebrate today the birthday of the church. That's really not true. Because the church has always existed. The ecclesia, the called out ones of God, have always existed. No, what happens here is that for the first time in history, the called out ones are filled with the very presence of the Holy Spirit. And God builds His Church And Jesus declares in Matthew 16, 18, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And those of you who've been doing battle at the very gates of hell, hear that as a word of hope. Those of you who've been doing spiritual warfare and, and crying out for God to intervene in a, in a culture that is, that is rebellious against God, in a, in a spiritual climate that is against the very nature and spirit of God. Those of you who find yourself in this place, take hope. Christ is building an ark, and that ark is the body of Christ. I have such a fear that you will misunderstand me right here. Don't hear what I didn't say. I'm not trying to say all of that is the ark of God. I'm saying the church of Jesus Christ is the safe place of God. And we're a part of that. We are a part of that. But God has given us a commission, right? And it's not to build a mighty tower. It's not to to build something that that we can say, wow, those guys really did something cool, right? God gave us a purpose to be scattered out among the nations and to represent Jesus Christ in those places, to be the light of the world in those places. So do not despair when, when it seems like the culture is winning. Do not despair when it seems like the church in North America or the Western world is under attack. God's church is not bound by what the culture thinks. God's church is bound by the Holy Spirit of God who fills us and who compels us to go out and represent him. You guys have been so gracious. They get so long-winded. The day of Pentecost, then, is the climax of God's work of a new creation. Of a new creation. The gift of the Spirit of God means the restoring of the whole of original creation. God, remember, gospel is creation, fall, redemption, and help me, Restoration, right? Pentecost means that restoration... I'm trying to figure out why that happens. It must be my armpits or something. Act like an echo chamber when I do that. Pentecost is the restoration of God's new creation now. now how, does that, how does that work? Well, the Spirit convicts us. Acts 2.37, they were cut to the heart. The Spirit convicted them, right? The Spirit calls us to faith in Jesus Christ. The Spirit will always, always point back to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is our redemption, right? The Spirit calls us to faith. And Peter said to them, Repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. The Spirit confirms for us that we are His. And you shall receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. A lot of confusion about this point. A lot of different truths out there. 
let me just express it as best I can. When you cannot believe in Jesus Christ, you cannot say He is Lord even apart from the Holy Spirit. Right? The Spirit is the one that enables us to believe. The Spirit is the one that calls us. The Spirit is the one that fills us. And we believe that, that you receive that Spirit upon faith in Jesus Christ. You affirm that by your baptism, either as a child or as a, a new believer, a child by the parents' faith or a new believer by their own faith. You affirm that, but, but when you come to that place, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are many people who would say there's a second experience you need to have. And I just want to affirm for you again that you cannot even come to faith without the Holy Spirit. And so the issue, I would say, is that you need, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be renewed constantly, um, being filled by the Holy Spirit. Paul would put it that way. Uh, in, there's our passage again, right? Um, I want to say Ephesians 5. I want to say 16 and 17, but I could have got that wrong. Um, it's going to be on the screen in just a second. Um, Paul would put it this way. Don't get drunk with wine, right? Which leads to dissipation, right? Instead, be filled with the Spirit, Right? Be filled with the Spirit. Get drunk on the Spirit. And then he goes on to tell us how we can live and walk in the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Paul shows us how we can live and walk in the Spirit of God. So, so there may be fresh expressions of that, of that coming of the Spirit. I've, I've had that many times myself. I've confessed to you that I've been born again, again, again. Right? Because, because God always has something better. God always has something new for you. I just want you to clearly understand that, that you're not missing anything right now if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have already received that Spirit. Now be filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit confirms for us that we are His. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? What does this mean? It means that you and me, we are the first signs of the coming new creation. Do you hear that? You are the harbinger of a new creation. And just as God commissioned Adam and Eve, just as He commissioned Noah, just as He commissioned Israel, and just as He commissioned the church, you are the representation of the living God. And wherever you go, you take that with you. If anyone is in Christ, anyone, any man, woman, child is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old's passed away. The new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? So let's go back. Last week we saw an amazing question. Is it at this time, God, that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? By the way, in the part that we skipped today, because it was such a long sermon, imagine that, um, from Peter, then um, God, uh, God answered that question. Uh, no, I'm not going to restore the kingdom to Israel. I'm going to restore the kingdom to everyone. To everyone. There is no one living human being who is not invited into my kingdom. I'm going to restore the kingdom to everyone. I'm not trying to say everyone is saved. I'm just trying to say that God took it beyond the nation of Israel as he promised Abraham he would. And now that blessing is available for every tribe and tongue and nation and people. So we have those 
two new questions from our passage today. What does this mean? It means, beloved, that these are the last days. In these last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. These are the last days. Beloved, it's urgent that we live into who we are in Jesus Christ, and it's urgent that we shine as lights in a dark world. These are the last days, and it means that God is pouring out His Spirit right now, and He wants to use you to do that. I'll show you how to do that, because they ask the next question then. If this means that these are the last days and God is pouring out His Spirit, what must I do? He's very clear. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Turn from the cult of the culture around you. Turn back to the worship of the living God. Repent of your sins. Repent of your self-righteousness that would build strong towers in rebellion, protecting yourself from God, the one who loves you and gave you himself for you. Repent of your self-righteousness. Be filled with the Spirit, right? Be filled with the Spirit and learn. Let's do this together. Let's, let's learn to walk in the Spirit together, right? As we were hiking, some of the hikers are in the back over there, as we were hiking, there's strange phenomenon would happen that um, you might have five of us in a train, right? Going along at the same time. And pretty soon, even though we have different lengths of legs, then pretty soon... The, um, our feet would get in step with one another, right? And then the problem came if somebody stopped suddenly, right? But, but as we were walking, we were walking in step together along those Appalachian trails. But, but the invitation of God now is not just to walk in step with one another, but especially to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is moving, and He invites you to move with Him. Walk in step with the Spirit, So the church throughout all Judea and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. Learn to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to add one in here. It's not in your notes. Let's learn to pray. Let's learn to pray. Because all this happened in the context of extraordinary prayer. Extraordinary. For 10 days, 120 people were together praying. I have trouble praying for 10 minutes sometimes, right? They were together for 10 days praying, and God moved. If we want to see God move, I don't completely understand it, but, but it won't happen unless we pray. You can begin by praying that God moves through our vacation Bible school next week. Pray for these five or six children and their leader. Pray for them daily. Just call out their name. Ask God to reveal himself to them. And if one of those children gets it, they're going to take that, right? They're going to take that experience of God back into their home. How do I know that? Because when I first understood who Christ was and committed my life to him, my father followed me. My father followed me. A little child shall lead them, right? So pray extraordinary prayers. But then also, speak. Proclaim. Proclaim the greatness of God. That's all he asks. You can't convict anybody. You can't make anybody do anything. Don't even try. 
That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is to speak, to proclaim the greatness of God. And when you do that, eternities will be changed. Whole oikoses, whole households, whole people groups will be changed because you were willing to risk God using you. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you so much for my sisters and brothers. <clears throat> thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you, God, that, that um, they're so patient with me. I get so excited about things that I don't communicate well. Um, Father, blow anything that I've said that is chaff. Just blow it away by the breath of your Holy Spirit. But fill my sisters and brothers. God, as you promised in Joel, as, as Peter proclaimed in Acts chapter 2, fill each of us with your presence. And God, allow us to foretell, to prophesy your word to people who have not yet heard it. And God, I'm just so grateful for, for how prayer and proclamation are going to transform our cities. I'm believing, God, that you're going to grant us 240,000 disciples in 10 years. I'm believing that, God, because we get it. We understand that it's not about us, it's about Jesus and what you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit. So strengthen us on the inner person. Begin with our Jerusalems, our homes, then, God, to our neighborhoods and to our workplaces, to the surrounding communities, to the places, God, where, where the gospel has not gone yet, to the uttermost parts of the earth. God, wherever you will send us, we will go and proclaim the greatness of God. And then, God, we will join together a week from now and celebrate. Yeah, yeah, the amazing way you move through Vacation Bible School, but also, God, for the way you move through our individual faithfulness to your word. Help us, God, to hear your voice. Help us to put your word into practice, and we will give you the praise. We will give you the glory, God, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Can you imagine how difficult it was um, as, as Jesus called to Peter in that boat and said, I want you to step out of your boat. I want you to risk walking on, walking on the what, Jesus? I want you to risk stepping out. I want you to be brave. I want you to step outside your comfort zone and see what I can do through your faith.